let's take our Bibles and we'll go, we'll start this morning in Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2. And um, the intention this morning is as we uh, approach these services that we're calling revival meetings, and I've made mention of this over the last several weeks, we need to remember that true revival is not something that we can schedule. It's not something that we just do. We don't just put together, uh, you know, special services and bring in a mighty, powerful preacher. Amen. And uh, we, we don't, we don't, we can't make that happen, right? We, well, so really maybe it would be better if we said that we are seeking revival. We're desiring revival. We want God to work among us. We need the Lord and his hand in our lives. We had a prayer meeting yesterday uh, in the morning, and one of the things that I mentioned at that prayer meeting is the fact that while we have things that we are desiring that God would do and expecting God to do, there, there are some things that God may want to do that we don't even know. And, you know, I don't want to come to the end of this week and say, amen, God did exactly what I thought he should, or, man, I wish that God would have done this. What I, what I want to do is at the end of this week, I want to be able to say, Lord, you did what you wanted to do. You had your will and your way. And, and that's really what we desire, right? We, we want to see God work. But with that in mind, I wanted to just take some time and, and discuss this morning, somewhat briefly, the subject of revival. And there's a, a whole lot that we could say about this, but I, I wanted to kind of set the stage a little bit for us to just take some time and reflect and hopefully... Uh, prepare our hearts for God to do what he wants to do among us, all right? So before we get into the text this morning and the things that we're going to look at, I want to ask the question, and I want feedback, and if I don't get it, I'm just going to stand here and stare for the next 45 minutes, all right? So when you think of revival, when you hear the word revive or revival, what comes to your mind? David. Okay, so, so getting, uh, we could maybe call it a stirring within our spirit, uh, maybe a, could we say a renewing of our love for God? Okay, Mike? Drawing closer to God? Okay, very good. David? Change. Amen. I like it. Yes, ma'am, Miss Judy. Amen. Souls being saved. Praise the Lord. We certainly want that. Who else? Someone. All right, let me give you, let me give you a couple of things that I, that I mentioned. So, a, a, a renewing in our love for God, right? A, 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 a stirring within us that just draws our heart to the Lord. I'm not talking about a feeling. I'm not talking about just like I woke up today just feeling overwhelmed by the love of God. But I'm talking about a, a, a restoring to, to a place of our, our love and passion for the Lord and His Word and 
drawing near to him, that was mentioned, drawing close to the Lord, being changed for God's glory, that was mentioned, right, being changed. Well, why do we need to be changed? We need to be changed because our lives aren't always what they're supposed to be. Okay? How about this one? Victory over strongholds of sin. You get bondage in your life to fear or bitterness or anger or addiction or lust and pornography. Whatever it might be, you've got, you've got strongholds in your life that are keeping you. You know they're keeping you from being what God wants you to be. You want to get victory over those things. You want to be able to conquer those things. Um, how about this one? This is, this is one that I pray for continually. And sadly, I, I, I don't think a lot of Christians see it. Restoration in relationships. You know, one of the things that I think is, is tragically sad is how many relationships in our churches are strained between the brethren. Because of past hurts or dislike for this person or that. I believe when revival happens, those things are going to go away. Relationships have to be restored so that there can be unity. By the way, it's not just between brethren within the church. It can be within your family. It can be between a husband and a wife. Parents and their children. Restored relationships. Growth in our personal walk. We've talked about that. How about this one? Faithfulness in witnessing. Being a result of something that God would do in us. To, to renew within us or to give to us a desire and, and, a, and a, a, a diligence in our witnessing. That we would look beyond ourselves... And look at the fields. Jesus said, lift up your eyes, look on the fields. They're white already to harvest, right? That we would, that we would be going after lost souls. I, I believe that would be a result of, of revival taking place. That this would be something that would be tangible and would be seen. Now, as we look back through those things, I want you to think with me on this. Those things that were just mentioned, all of those things, they all have one thing in common. Does anyone see a common thread between those things? Here's the common thread. A departure from any of those things that we mentioned is sin. We talked about renewing our love for God. And I think all of us could say, well, I don't really love God as I should. But did you know that the fact that we don't love God is sin? Jesus said the first and greatest commandment, not a commandment, not an important commandment, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And all of us would have to admit that that is not always true of us. But let's just call that what it is. Sin. We've broken God's commandments.
commandment. We mentioned getting victory over strongholds of sin in our lives. That's, I mean, that's, that's obvious, right? Okay, we, we've got some ongoing sin that we've not been able to get victory over. This is sin. Restoration of relationships. Well, you know, you, you don't know the history, and you don't know what this person did to me. No, listen. The Bible says very clearly in the book of 1 John that you can't be right with God and be at odds with the brethren. It's sin. Now, we, we, we want to downplay, we want to sugarcoat, we want to make things out to be less than they really are. Even this one, growth in our personal walk with the Lord. All of us need this. We need to grow closer to God. And most of us would probably say, most people in this room would probably say, my prayer life really isn't what it ought to be. I'm not as faithful in reading and studying the Word of God as I should be. And I know those things to be true. Well, why is that? Well, I'm busy... I've got things going on, but, but the reality is it's divided focus. We have not set our affection on things above, not on things on the earth. We've placed our priorities on things on the earth. What is that? It's sin. Well, I, I know I need to be a better witness. That's a gentle way of saying I'm disobeying God's command to preach the gospel. Now, I'm not trying to be harsh this morning. I'm just saying sometimes we look at, at, at things and we think, okay, revival. Yes, I need that. Well, I, I just need the Lord to stir some things up within me. But maybe our greatest need is to be honest with the Lord and say, Lord, here are some areas in my life where there is sin that needs to go so that I can be what you want me to be. So let's look at Revelation 2. And I want to show you, and, and I know I've preached on this before, and we're really not going to spend all our time here in Revelation. But notice, uh, this is the, the, the very first of the letters to the seven churches. And in, in verse number one, the letter to Ephesus, under the angel of the church at Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. I know thy works, and thy labor, and thy patience, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil, and thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars, and hast borne and hast patience, and for my name's sake hast labored, the second time you mentioned that, and hast not fainted. Now again, we would look at this church and say, man, that's a good church. They're doctrinally sound, they're evangelistic, uh, I mean, they're working and serving the Lord, uh, they're practicing church discipline, I mean, this is a solid scriptural church, right? And the Lord says in verse 4, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Okay, I know my love isn't what it ought to be. But as I've mentioned before, out of all of the seven churches, this is probably the church that we would look at and say, man, that's a good church. And it's also, it's also the only church that the Lord said, if you don't get this right, I'm going to remove your candlestick. Isn't that interesting? So what was the, what was the necessary response for them? Verse number 5, remember therefore from whence thou art fallen. In other words, go back in your mind and your heart to a time where your priorities what were what they were supposed to be, where your love was what it was supposed to be. Remember and... 
Repent. You know what repentance is? Repentance is the necessary response to the realization of sin. Repentance is the necessary response to the realization of sin. So in other words, he's not saying, I want you to stir yourself up to love me more. He didn't say, you just need to sing more songs of praise and and you just need to think on right things and, and you just need to get into the Bible and really start growing, kind of rekindling that flame of love. And I'm not saying that those things are wrong. But before any of that could be accomplished, there needed to be repentance. There needed to be an acknowledgement before God, something is not right and it's my fault. And I need to be willing to turn to you and let you change me. So can I, can I put it this way to you? True revival begins with repentance. True revival begins with repentance. Because revival is only necessary where there is sin. If we had no sin, we would have no need for revival. So even the, the recognition, we need to be revived, we need revival, it's a very kind and gentle admission that we have sin. And the way that sin is to be dealt with is by confession and repentance. He that covereth his sin shall not prosper, Proverbs says, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy. Before we're ever going to get victory, before we're ever going to see change, there has to be an acknowledgement of sin and repentance. So let's go back to the book of Psalms. Psalm 51, a very famous chapter. This is the, the psalm that was written, a, a prayer from David to God after he had committed sin with Bathsheba. You remember, he had committed adultery with her. Uh, she became pregnant. He then had her husband murdered. I mean, he murdered him by his commandment to Joab, had him killed, and then tried to cover up his sin. Now, we won't take the time to go back to 2 Samuel 12. Maybe that would be a good thing for you to uh, read in your spare time uh, at some point today or, or, or this week. But 2 Samuel 12, we read of Nathan the prophet coming to David. And he tells him this elaborate story about a, a man that only had one sheep and his neighbor had, you know, a, a whole bunch of uh, flocks and herds and all that. And the, the rich neighbor had a friend come to him and rather than taking of his own flock and, and, and feeding this friend, he took the one little lamb from his neighbor and he killed him. And David, being a shepherd and, you know, kind of having a heart for the little guy, was like, this guy's going to die. Then Nathan boldly looks at the king and says, Thou art the man. And, and here this illustration was a, a sermon to David about his sin. David hadn't realized his sin up to that point. He hadn't acknowledged his sin. Now, Psalm 51 is his response toward God for his wickedness. Look what he says, Have mercy upon me, O God. 
according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me throughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. So he's asking forgiveness. But notice he says in verse 3, I want you to notice this, for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. He says, I, I'm willing to, to not only admit that I, am, that I have been wrong, but he says, I acknowledge my transgressions, but my sin is ever before me. This is all-consuming to me. It's what's on my heart. It's, it's what's on my mind. I have sinned against God. I'm afraid that we often treat sin too lightly. We believe that the Bible very clearly teaches the eternal security of the believer. If a person is saved, they can never be lost. If you know Christ, you've been born again, you're never going to have to worry about going to hell. But can I tell you that sometimes we have turned what is a wonderful biblical doctrine, we've turned it into a doctrine of convenience and excuse. To say, well, you know, I'm saved and... It's under the blood and, you know, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so, therefore, yeah, I know, I know it's sin. I know it's not right. I know it hinders my fellowship with God. But deep down, what we're saying to ourselves is it's not that big of a deal. Friend, I want you to know something. Sin is a big deal. Sin sends thousands of people to hell every day. Sin costs Jesus Christ his life. Sin is a big deal. God does not look lightly upon it. Sadly, we often do. And I think this is one of the big problems with the, that easy believism movement where the, the, the gospel is often presented in such a way where, where the acknowledgement of sin is just seen as like this obstacle we have to get past in order to get someone to pray a sinner's prayer. No, no, no. Sin is the thing that is separating a sinner from God. And that, ca that has to be dealt with before they can be reconciled to God. And so it's not sufficient just to say... You know, the Bible says we're all sinners. And we've all broken the commandment of God. Do you agree with that? You, you agree with that, right? Do, do you, well, yeah, I know, I'm not, per, no, no, no. Do, do you agree you're a sinner? Yeah, yeah, I'm a sinner. Okay, next point. No, 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 no. This is the problem. You're separated from God because of your sin, because of your wickedness. God said it was our iniquities that separated between us and him. It's a problem. And David is here saying to God, I acknowledge my sin. I'm, I'm honest about my sin. It's ever before me. I am aware of it. And I'm grieved over it. And then he says in verse 4, and this is, one of the, this, is, this is one of the verses in the Bible that every time I read it, I just, it, I, I'm honestly confused by it to a degree. Look what he says. Against thee, he's talking to God, against thee, thee only have I sinned. <laughs> now wait a second here, David. You have not only sinned against God. 
when David committed adultery, he sinned against his wives. He sinned against his family. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against her husband, Uriah. He sinned against the kingdom, the nation of Israel. I mean, he brought reproach upon the nation. I mean, it, how can he say, I, I have sinned and my sin is only against God? This is not David trying to somehow absolve himself from the responsibility of all of the people that he's wronged. But it is a recognition that the, what is so grievous and what is so weighty about my sin is not just that it has caused harm to others and to myself. What, what, is, what, what makes my sin so grievous is the fact that I have sinned against the holy and righteous God of heaven. That's why sin is a big deal. And that's also why, by the way, this mentality that as long as I'm not hurting anyone else and as long as I'm not harming anyone else, I ought to be able to live however I want to live. That's why it's flawed. Well, as long, you know, as long as they're consenting adults, I don't care what they do. No, 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 listen. Sin is not just sin against other people. It's sin against God. This is the problem. And if you and if I have sin in our lives today, the problem is not just between us and other people, it's between us and God. And we ought to take that seriously. He says in uh, verse number five, he says, Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now he's not saying here that he was a, he was conceived as a result of a sinful relationship. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, from the moment of conception, I have had a propensity to sin. I, I have had a sin nature from the moment of my conception. Why does that matter? It matters because David is acknowledging, I've sinned, I've sinned against you, and maybe even the bigger problem is, this is who I am. Have you ever noticed this? Um, I've seen a pattern in, in, in our society where someone, something will come to the surface about something that someone did inappropriately or years ago, and then that person will come forward with an apology. And in that apology, they'll say something to the effect of, you know, I, I'm really, I, I, I really regret this decision, this mistake that I made. And I just want everyone to know that's not who I am. Now, I understand what they're saying. I, I understand what they're trying to say. I don't continually, habitually do this. Okay. But really what they're saying is, I'm, I'm not a bad guy. I just messed up. Can't you find it in your heart to forgive me? David's not going to the Lord and saying, Lord, man, I blew it this time. But Lord, you know me. This isn't who I am. I just, it was a lapse of judgment. It was a, 
There's a moment of temptation. I gave in. I shouldn't have done that. I feel terrible about it. I wish I could take it back, but I can't. And Lord, you just know that's not who I am. That's the opposite of what David's doing. David is saying, Lord, you know me, and you know that this is actually, my problem is this is who I am. My sin is a continual problem in my life. And it has been from the moment of birth. Do you know that apart from Christ, there's no good in us? Paul said that in Romans 7, didn't he? I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. Mankind is not basically good. We're bad. We're sin. We we sin. We, We are flawed. But grace, the blood of Christ, it it cleanses us from all sin. I'm thankful for that. But but David is not, he is not here sugarcoating and he's not cutting corners. He's getting real with God. He's being honest before God, the one who sees everything. And he even says then in verse number 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Listen, this was an acknowledgement that said, God, it's not just my actions. The problem is not with what I did. The problem is what's in my heart. I believe that true repentance acknowledges that the problem that we have is a heart problem. Lord, I need you not just to cleanse my hands. I need you to purify my heart. Because what you desire is for my heart to be right with you. Well, God only looks at the heart. No, he doesn't only look at the heart. But God does look at the heart, and this matters because what is in the heart is eventually going to flow out into our actions. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So I want you to notice, he's recognized his sin, he's acknowledged his sin, he's, he's come clean with the Lord. No excuses, no argument, just honesty, admission, request for forgiveness and restoration. But I want you to know there's hope in this. Because sometimes we, we, we look at things and we kind of beat other people down. We beat ourselves down and we say, okay, you know, you're, you're just a worthless, wretched sinner. Have a good day. No, there's actually hope. Because it is true, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And I love what David says here in verse number 8. He says, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. He, he is one, he, he said, my sin is ever before me. Now he is saying, I feel as though my bones have been broken. God's been beating me up about this sin. God's been chastening me, and I feel about this big. You ever fen- felt that way? But he's able to look ahead and say, I know that God is able to turn all of this around. And I'm looking forward to having joy and gladness again, that the bones which have been broken, will rejoice. Wherever you are today, and 
whatever the need is in your life, and I don't know the needs of all your lives, but wherever you are, I want you to know, there is hope for you. And maybe you say, man, it's just been too long. It seems so long ago that I was right with God that I just don't think it's even possible anymore. No, no, no. It's possible. Verse number 10. Look at this. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. By the way, I'm thankful that today I have a promise that he'll never leave me nor forsake me. I don't have to ask the Lord, don't take your spirit from me. I can say, Lord, help me to walk in your spirit. May I be filled with your spirit, but I have his spirit. It's not going anywhere. Verse number 12, restore. Create, renew, restore. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Now listen. Restore means to bring back what used to be, right? I heard that this afternoon there's a car show here in town. Just a car shows are neat because a lot of times they're they're made they're 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 a bunch of cars that are there that used to be beautiful and at some point they started not looking so nice anymore and someone took them and restored them. They brought them back to a place of beauty and admiration where at one time I drove past a a, a field of cars the other day. I mean, just hundreds of like old antique cars from the 30s and 40s and 50s and every one of them was like the wheels were off of it and it was just rust and nastiness and grass was grown up around it. And I, I was thinking, man, you look at those cars and they look like they're fit only for the scrapyard. But I bet every one of those cars, if the guy tried to sell them, he'd make some good money off of them. Because it's not what they are that gives them their value, it's what they can be once they're restored. And folks, maybe we need to look at ourselves and say, yeah, okay, I, man, I have made a mess of things. My relationship with God isn't what it used to be. It isn't what it ought to be. But I just want you to know, God is in the business of restoring. And your value is not found in all your failures, in all of your sin, and in the place that you are today. Your value is found in the fact of what God can make you. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. Very quickly, I want to just emphasize, look what he says will be the result of this. Then, then will I teach transgressors thy ways and sinners shall be converted unto thee. We talk about revival. Miss Judy said, I want to see souls saved. I want to see that too. I believe that will happen when we get revived. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Look at verse number 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation. And my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, 
Open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Verse 16, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. (laughs) How does David know that God isn't looking for a sacrifice? I mean, after all, think about this. David grew up under the law of Moses, right? I mean, he knew all about the sacrifices, and that was how you dealt with sin. You got a sin problem, you, you, take, you take your offering, you bring it to the priest, they, they kill it there, it's, it's burnt before the Lord, this is a sacrifice. I mean, this, but, but now David looks at this and he says, but God, that's not really what you want, is it? I think David tried that. I think, my, my, my thought is that David went, okay, I've got a problem, I need to go and offer this, this, this lamb for a burnt offering to try and deal with my sin. And then that was done, and externally he had dealt with his issue, but inwardly he still knew things aren't right. Oh, Lord, you're, you're not just looking for a lamb, you're looking for my heart. God, verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Verse 18, do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion, build thou the walls of Jerusalem, then, then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering, then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. It's not that God doesn't want us to obey. But his desire is for obedience out of a heart of humility. And sometimes we think in our minds, something's wrong... There's a sin problem. What do I need to do? Oh, I need to get more faithful in church. I need to read my Bible more. I need to pray more. I need to go soul winning. I need to do this. I need to do this. I need to do. I mean, I, I need to get back to tithing. I need to uh, sacrifice and live by faith and, and and give to missions. And those are all great things, but they don't fix a heart problem. And really, God's not looking for those things before the heart is right. He wants you to get your heart right. And then, from a a right heart, he wants us to serve. And so this morning, as we consider these things, and we talk about revival and and God doing among us what he wants to do, I just want you to know, it's it's not about externals. It's not about what we do. It's about our heart being right with God. It's about true repentance, acknowledgement. Lord, something's not right between me and you, and that's not your fault. You know it's never God's fault. The Lord's promise is, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. But it's actually not entirely true that we never leave him. Hebrews tells us that we're to beware lest there be any of us, in any of us an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. He doesn't walk away from us, but we do have a tendency to walk away from him. 
not his fault if something's not right, it's ours. And actually, the converse of that is also true because he said, draw nigh to me and I will draw nigh to you. When there's repentance, it's a step in his direction. But he, even though we're the ones who've departed, it's not like God says, okay, now you make the whole trip yourself. He says, you, you come toward me, I'll come toward you. And so this morning, I just want to challenge us, even as we consider this idea of revival. Lord, we need you to work among us. Okay, but what is it we need him to do? First of all, we need to deal with sin in our lives. Lord, if there's something between me and you, please show me. Search me. We talked about that the other night. Search me, O oh God, and know my thoughts. Try me and, or search me and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me. We need God to reveal sin to us. And when it's exposed, there needs to be honest, humble repentance. And when God, when the relationship is what it ought to be with God, what do we have? We have a restoration of our joy, a renewed zeal for lost souls, a desire to praise and honor and serve the Lord. Those things don't make us right with God, but they do flow from a heart that is right with God. So let's pray that God would do that in our lives.